Heavenly Father, we are here today to hear for you. I didn't know coming here this morning, Lord, whether I might be hearing you in the whirlwind, but whatever it is, Lord, if it's in the earthquake and the whirlwind or that still small voice, Father, we want to hear from you. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And we look forward to hearing from you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good. It's good to see you all have uh, braved the, uh, the, the, the hurricane uh, to be here today. And uh, yeah, exciting days here in Southern California, a hurricane of all things. I have a neighbor that's uh, from Florida, and she keeps telling me, this ain't no hurricane, okay? <laughs> we know hurricanes in Florida. So guys, um, I don't know about you, but uh, I have, I've had some interesting experiences in my life when I've gone to family reunions. And I know you probably all have wonderful families. Everybody gets along, no issues whatsoever. You can talk about religion and politics at your families, and you don't have any issues, right? Because you're all of one mind. Yeah, right. Reunions can be like that sometimes. I remember uh, one time a mom was saying that they had taken some pictures, and she was going to post them on Facebook, and she didn't like the way she looked. And so she says uh, to her, her son, she says, so you do that Photoshop thing, you uh, alter the pictures? And he says, sure, mom, I can do that. She says, can you take off some of the wrinkles off of me? And he goes, yeah, mom, I can do that. Could, could you take off like about, I don't know, 30 pounds or so? Oh, mom, I can do that. And finally, she says, well, could you put them on my sister? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's the way we are as families, aren't we? I grew up here in Moreno Valley and, uh, and Prior to that, I was over in Woodcrest. My dad had a turkey ranch. My uncle had a turkey ranch over in Ritchie Canyon, and we would, we would celebrate Thanksgiving there every year, Thanksgiving on a turkey ranch. How's that? And, um, and there were always some interesting experiences, you know, all the relatives saying, my, how you have grown. Like, well, what do you expect? You know, that's, that's what we do as kids. And... Uh, family and friends being over there. And I, I remember one time with my wife's family, she'll remember this one. We were, uh, this is a long time ago when my niece was just a little baby and they're passing the baby around. Everybody's like, oh, look at the pretty baby. Little Star. And uh, that's her name, Star. And, um, <laughs> and when the baby gets to uh, it wasn't me, it was somebody, I forget who it was, but the baby decided to oop, upchuck on, on that person. And at that point, I'll never forget this, my brother-in-law Gary said, oh, that reminds me, would somebody pass the gravy over there? <laughs> yeah, family, family times, family reunions give you those wonderful memories that just never leave you, don't they? Well, today I share, I share all this because we're going to see a reunion today among the family that we have been following in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 45. We're going to pick up the account in verse 16. I'm not going to read it all for you. If you've looked at the, 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 uh, uh, the passages today, there's a whole lot of text. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm going to talk you through a little bit of it. But as we have been seeing, Joseph, uh, particularly last week, Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers and he has demonstrated to them that he has forgiven them for what they have done they've gone through that 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 process where Joseph has said you know this is uh, I, I've forgiven you it's okay and as we saw last week and many of us experienced on a personal level that forgiveness can be given but sometimes it's difficult to 
to accept. And so many people uh, have a hard time forgiving themselves for what they have done when God, in fact, has forgiven you of those things. And we saw that with the brothers of Joseph last week. Well, today, now our focus is going to shift back to Canaan, at least in the beginning, back to Jacob, who is now known as Israel, Jacob, the deceiver, Jacob, the one uh, who has been teaching us often by teaching us what not to do. And it's, a, it's kind of a good thing today because today we are going to see the behavior of Jacob is actually going to teach us what to do. He's going to be an example to us of what we should do in our relationships with other people. And here is the first point this morning as we pick up this passage, and that is that we need to begin thinking about others. As we pick up the account in verse 16, let me just talk you through it and you can read it detailed for yourself. But Pharaoh hears about Joseph's brothers being there in Egypt and he tells Joseph, you need to bring your entire family to Egypt. And so he loads them up for this trip that they're going to take back to Canaan to get their dad. New clothes, money, food, and carts to carry everything in. And as they are leaving... (laughs) I find it interesting that Joseph says this to them in verse 24, if you see it there, he says to them, do not quarrel on the way. (laughs) Now, now why would Joseph say something like that? Well, I think there's a couple of things we could uh, infer from this. Number one, they have a lot to be thinking about on their way home, because what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to face their father and finally deal with what they did 20 years earlier, which they have yet to ever tell their dad about. Joseph was the favorite son. Joseph was, was dad's favorite. And uh, they told dad that, you know, he was killed and all that. When in fact, they sold him into slavery. And so they're, they're no doubt contemplating their confession. And the brothers haven't shown a lot of unity so far, have they? they they've been really good at blaming each other. And so I think when Joseph makes this statement, don't quarrel on the way, he's demonstrating that he really understands his brothers. He knows them. And as we see here, it's another interesting thing, little little tidbits of information we get. We see that he has given more when when they were loading them up for the trip. He's actually given more to Benjamin than he has to everybody else. Verse 22 says, to each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin... He gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. (laughs) And so what do you have here? Here's Benjamin, who is Joseph's only full brother of the same mother. They they both are the the, the sons of Rachel and uh, Jacob. And so he's kind of showing favoritism to them. Does this sound familiar? I mean, Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph. Now Joseph is showing a certain amount of favoritism to Benjamin. I'm sure Joseph has reasons for what he's doing. Maybe he's uh, still testing them. Maybe it's a a measure of how safe Joseph felt uh, being able to do this, that he he really was confident that his brothers have dealt with a lot of their issues and they're not going to have the jealous reaction that they have had before. I remember my mom when dealing with my sister and I uh, over, you know, the fairness. You ever have that with your kids, those that have kids? You know, it's not fair. He's got more than me. That's not the same. And, and my mom, for instance, if we, would, uh, if we would have a pie and, 
you know, they would, she would tell one of us, one of us, our job would be to cut the pieces of pie and the other one would get the first choice of which piece they wanted. That was my mother's way of, of creating some harmony in the home between my sister and I. Well, we've seen a lot about that, a lot of this among these brothers there. And so Joseph is telling them, don't, don't argue about things like this. Don't argue between yourselves. Uh, get along with each other. And that's a good thing. It is good when we get along instead of what they've been doing, where they've been trying to shift the blame. Now they, they, the past has been forgiven. Joseph wants them to, to bury the past, move on, don't argue. Do as King David would later say in Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And what's the best way to accomplish this? Well, obviously, begin thinking about others. Jesus, in fact, was asked one time, what is the greatest commandment? And he gives this answer in Mark 12. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at the order of, of, of love. Love God first, Love your brother second and love yourself only as a guide to how you should be loving your brother. Put God first, put your brothers second. And if we're all doing that, I, I've often said uh, that, that if, if, if I'm living the way the world tells me to live, which is, you know, take care of yourself, get what you need, do what you want for yourself because nobody else is going to care about you. If that's really the way that I'm living, then in this entire room, I've got one person that really is concerned about me, and that's me. On the other hand, if I follow Jesus' command here, then in fact, I have a hundred plus of you who are concerned about me. In fact, in the whole room, if we're all following this command, I'm the only one that isn't having to be concerned about me. I've got all of you. So it's, it's wonderful how the math works out in that. So this entire caravan now takes off for Egypt. Look at Genesis uh, 45, 25. So they went up out of Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Imagine jo Jacob knew his sons. <laughs> Can't always trust what they say. Verse 27, but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. Jacob here hears about Joseph and he is stunned. In fact, as it says here, literally, his heart became numb. Some people have said that could mean that he had a mild coronary with this kind of news. Can you imagine what this must have been like for Jacob? Joseph was gone. And as far as Jacob was concerned, Joseph is dead. In fact, I'm sure that for Jacob, Joseph was, had been buried. He, he buried him in his heart, in his mind, years and years ago. And once the reality now is setting in, only one thing now matters. Joseph is still alive. Jacob, I'm sure, doesn't care about the clothing, doesn't care about the money, the food. He only cares about one thing at this point, and that is Joseph. 
But we don't see Jacob grabbing the nearest donkey and heading off to Egypt, okay? And in fact, I doubt if he could do that. He's 130 years old by this time. And this is going to be a major life change. In fact, I could easily see Jacob saying, but this is my home. Why, why am I going off to Egypt? This is the promised land. This is Canaan. This is, and, and like everybody else, Jacob, though, is finally making some changes in his life. We've seen Jacob, the deceiver, pretty much acting according to how we have always known Jacob. Now we're seeing him making some changes. No doubt I could, I could imagine him recognizing the covenant that God had made with his grandfather Abraham. In Genesis 15, it talks about this trip they're about to make. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. God is doing something here beyond what they are seeing and it's hopefully Jacob is recognizing some of that. Up until this point, we've seen how Jacob has taught his sons well, and that is to think of themselves first, get all that they can get for themselves. But now he's an old man, an old man who through most of his life thought only of his own needs, thought only of his own self, thought only of his own desires. And so now he is beginning to demonstrate something very different, and that is this. Listen to what God says. Jacob considers what God would have him do. Look at chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, Jacob, took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob says, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. You're living, Jacob, right now in the promised land. Now you're going to go, you and all of your, your, your family, you're going to go and you're going to live in Egypt. And in fact, you, Jacob, are going to be there for the rest of your life. You're going to die there peacefully. That's what he's talking about. Joseph's hand is going to close your eyes. He's talking about Jacob's death, but it's going to be a good death. It's going to be a peaceful death. Throughout his life, you see, Jacob would do anything necessary to get his way, deception being the major means that he used throughout his life. But like the changes we have seen in the brothers of Joseph, we now see a big change in Jacob himself. Instead of just doing what he wants to do, what's he doing here? He is seeking God's wisdom, and God is now giving him confidence. Yes, Jacob, this is my will. You do this. Finally, it's taken a while, but finally we can learn something from Jacob, and it's more than just what not to do, okay? We can seek God in our decisions that we have before us. Listen to his voice. Now, I say that with, full, with the full knowledge that, and I'm as guilty as anybody, that at times we do this thing where we make decisions, we decide we're going to go in a certain way, I'm going to do this thing, and then I stop and I pray and I ask God to bless this. 
I want so, I, I want this so much, God, you must want it for me as well. Now, sometimes that's true. God says he'll give us the desires of our heart. But part of that getting the desires of your heart is that the desires of your heart have come more and more into line with what God wants for us. If that's not the case, then there are those times when what I want is not what God wants for me. Now, you might say, well, I don't have, like jo J J uh, Jacob is having here, I don't have visions, I don't hear voices, I don't, there, there's been no bushes burning and speaking to me, so I guess God doesn't speak to me. Well, guys, I'm here to tell you today, nothing could be further from the truth. People, God wrote a letter to you, and it's right here, his word. The Bible, for, uh, the book of Hebrews begins this way in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, as we've been seeing. But in these last days, which is where we are now, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. You see, sometimes, guys, we wait for or we seek a sign when God has already instructed us. He has spoken to us in his word. You might wonder, gee, I wonder if I should, if I should share my faith with my neighbors. He's already answered that. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Or we ask ourselves, I wonder what God would have me do in this situation. Should I, should I forgive my, my, my parents for what they did? Should I forgive that person that has offended me? He's already answered that. We saw this last a couple of weeks ago. Ephesians 4.32. But be kind to one another, forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven you. Or we ask, you know, how, Lord, should I respond to this difficulty in my life? He's already answered that one. James 1, 2. Therefore, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing endurance. It's building you up. It's making you stronger. I can't tell you how many times there have been people that have come to me almost if they, as if they want me to find for them the exception clause, a reason that they don't really have to do what Scripture plainly says. And they spend a lot of time telling me their whole story. Let me tell you how this has worked out. And, and, and this is why Scripture is not practical in this situation. Well, from my perspective, I've been there too. But I will tell you this, when I finally give in and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way, it has never failed to ultimately work out, as difficult as that can be sometimes. My experience and the experience of many, many others, I'm sure, in this room is that God's word is always right. It always, quote unquote, works, if we want to say it that way. That's why we're known as people of the book. That's why we belong to a, a body of believers in the evangelical free church that routinely ask the question, where stands it written? This is where God has revealed to us his will. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that God performs miracles, probably on a daily basis. I could tell you a couple of accounts of miracles that I believe happened in my life this, this past week. And I do believe that God can speak to us in, mirac in miraculous ways. God can do anything he wants, but he'll never speak to us in violation of his word. I've had many people come to me and they'll say, God told me this. And 
often, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's, that's good. I'm glad you feel confident about that. But then there'll be those people that'll say, God has, has told me that, uh, you know, I need to leave my wife or I need to, get to, to leave my husband. And at those times, you know, I can confidently say, no, he hasn't told you that. After hearing their situation, that's not something that that's a violation of what God's word is saying in that particular case. I've seen God speak to me in miraculous ways, sometimes weekly. It's not unusual for me to uh, start working on next week's sermon on Monday morning and read through the whole passage and say, what in the world am I going to preach out of this? <laughs> what, what is, I remember I did a, a series years ago in the book of Acts. And there was one section where, uh, that I, that I had, had broken the book up into. And this one section was just people moving around. This person went to Antioch, and this person went here, and these guys went over here. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, Lord, there's nothing here. There, there's no encouragement here. What is this, a travel log? And yet, by the end of the week, I can tell you that that sermon, when I, when I gave it over to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me what there is in this passage, I had so much response from people saying, that is exactly what I need to hear. That's the way God's word is. We've seen God answer prayers so many times in response to our requests. So God here is speaking to Jacob. And Jacob and all of his family, probably 70 or more, left Beersheba. And I can imagine what that must have looked like. Wagons loaded up with women and children and crying babies and livestock and donkeys. For some reason, they like to mention the donkeys are coming. And it's like a scene out of the Grapes of Wrath or the Beverly Hillbillies, right? And on their way from this famine-stricken area in Canaan, on their way now to the world's superpower, Egypt. This world of gleaming cities and prosperous people. And the patriarch, Jacob, is now a changed man. He's begun thinking about others. He's listening to what God says. And he gives us one more example this morning, and that is expect your plans to change. Now, Jacob had this plan all worked out. We see it here in Genesis 46. He had his plan worked out about how he's going to meet up with Joseph, how this family reunion that they're about to have is all going to happen. But Joseph had other ideas. Look at verse 28. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen, and then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. And he presented himself, and he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. This is, guys, one of the greatest scenes in all of Scripture. This father who had given up his son for dead, and now this son who for 20 years has been waiting for this day. And Jacob, as he's on his way, he's planning how this, this reunion is going to happen. So he sends Judah out to get directions to get over to Joseph's place. But Joseph didn't just send directions. Joseph went out himself, personally, the second in command of all of Egypt. These are not the kind of people that go out to meet you. You go to meet them, you know, and you go to meet them in a very respectful and reverent way. And yet here comes Joseph to meet his father and his brothers. And what a picture this is, guys, of God's relationship with us. In Luke 15, Jesus told a parable called the parable of the prodigal son. And a lot of you know that one. 
how this son takes and gets his inheritance from his dad and goes off to a, a foreign land and spends all the money and ends up finding himself I- impoverished. He's eating, you know, and he looks at what the pigs are eating, and he wants to eat that food. And finally, he comes to his senses, and he says, you know what? My father's servants are living better than I am right now. Now, I'm not worthy to be his son anymore, so I'm going to go crawling back to dad, and I'm going to beg him to take me on as a and as you read the parable, you see he's even practicing his speech. My father, I, you know, I am no longer worthy to be your son. And, and so as he goes back, we realize that he's got this reunion planned out. But his father, who is a picture of our father in heaven, his father's not going to have any of that. And there's this, this wonderful reunion where the father sees the son coming from afar off. And what does he do? Like Joseph, he runs out to meet him. And there is a party that they have for his son. And I love how the son tries to give his prepared speech. My father, I am uh, not worthy to be your son. And the dad cuts him off and says, kill the fatted lamb. Put a ring on him. You know, give him a robe. And, 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 and that's a picture of the reunion that God has with us. He meets us more than halfway. Author David Redding describes a reunion from his past. He says this, I remember going home from the Navy for the first time during World War II. Home was so far out in the country that when we went hunting, we had to go toward town. We had moved there for my father's health when I was 13. We raised cattle and horses, and I started a little flock of sheep the kind of sheep that are covered by wool except for a little black nose and the tips of their black legs. My father helped them to have their twins at lambing time, and I could tell each one of the flock apart at a distance with no trouble. I had a beautiful ram. Next door, there was a man who had a beautiful dog, and he had a small flock of sheep that he wanted to improve with my ram. So he asked me if he could borrow the ram, and in return, he would let me have the choice of the litter from his prized dog. And that's how I got Teddy, my black Scottish shepherd. Teddy was my dog, and Teddy would do anything for me. He waited for me to come home from school. He slept beside me, and when I whistled, he ran to me even if he was eating. At night, no one could get within a half mile without Teddy's permission. And during those long summers in the field, I would only see the family at night, but Teddy was with me all the time. And so when I went away to war, I didn't know how to leave him. How do you explain to somebody who loves you that you are leaving him and will not be chasing woodchucks with him tomorrow like always? And so coming home that first time from the Navy was something I can scarcely describe. The last bus stop was 14 miles from the farm. I got off there that night at about 11 o'clock, and I walked the rest of the way home. It was two or three in the morning before I was within a half mile of the house. It was pitch dark, but I knew every step of the way. Suddenly, Teddy heard me, and he began his warning bark. And then I whistled just once. The barking stopped. There was a yelp of recognition And I knew that a big black form was hurling towards me in the darkness. And almost immediately, he was there in my arms. And to this day, that is the best way I can explain what it means to truly come home. 
What comes home to me now is the eloquence with which that unforgettable memory speaks to me of my God. You see, if my dog, without any explanation, would love me and take me back after all that time, why wouldn't my God do so as well? I have a couple of dogs, and I often think of a, a prayer that I heard one time. It goes like this, Oh Lord, please make me into the man that my dogs think I am. <laughs> That's them right there. That's Minnie and Austin. And I know, guys, where most of you are in your relationship with God and your, and your Heavenly Father today, I, I don't know where most of you are in that relationship, but I wouldn't be surprised in fact, I'm pretty sure, knowing human nature, that there's probably some prodigals here in this room today. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you wanted things that he didn't want for you. Maybe God was cramping your style, and so you've decided, I'm not really going to listen to him anymore. But maybe like that prodigal, life has become kind of miserable for you. And I want you to realize, guys, that God never left you. You left him. God never stopped loving you. And just like Joseph, just like the prodigal's father, just like Teddy the dog, he has kept an eye out for you. And when you appear on the horizon again, he is on his way. And while you're trying to give your prepared speech and your excuses about how you want his love once again, oh, will you please take me back? He tells you, I have never stopped loving you, my child. Because you see, love is not so much something God does. Love is what God is. He is love. It's his very nature. And because that's who God is, and because his love is everlasting, it is not dependent upon anything you do. That's the very nature of grace. Grace is a gift. It's not dependent upon the giver. It's something that we give because of who we are. And now, when we understand that, the reunion, the party can begin. I wonder this morning, have you walked away from him? And maybe today you're ready to come back. I encourage you to put 1 John 1.9 into practice. Confess your sins and recognize that he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We talk a lot about the ABCs here. Admit, believe, and choose. ABC. Admit what truly your relationship with the Lord is right now. And believe that God wants that relationship with you. He's waiting for you to come back. And in fact, he's not going to wait for you to come back. When you, when you take one step, he's going to come the whole way. He's going to come bounding like Teddy did across that field. And finally, choose. Choose to follow him. Choose, as 1 John 1, 9 says, to confess your sins and know that he will completely cleanse you from everything. Renew once again that right relationship. Re renew that, that fellowship that you have and have had. Let me give you a couple of takeaways for this passage to this morning. As I read through this, I first ask myself as I look through this, Lord, do I consider the needs of others? Or is there a little bit of Jacob in me? Well, let's be honest. There's a little bit of Jacob in all of us. We do tend to think in terms of how's that going to benefit me? What's that going to do for me? 
But more and more, I want to become that person that, that we see in the life of Joseph. And that is one who considers other people as God says we are to do. Others of God first, then others, and then myself. Secondly, I ask myself, so what is God telling me right now? What, what is his word sharing with me right now that I need to do? And that leads naturally into the third question. How, the third question, how, <laughs> one more. How set in my ways am I? When God tells me to do something, am I prepared to just do it? Or am I prepared to question him? Well, are you sure about that? Now, maybe you don't understand if that's coming from God, then seek out some help. Seek out, you know, our elders will be up here at the end. Maybe there's something that you're struggling with. You're not sure if this is of God or not. That's what our, our spiritual leaders, that's what our brothers and sisters in Christ are here for. We are to be encouraging one another, bearing each other's burdens, and, and sharing with each other, and loving each other. That's all the one another's. Family reunions, guys, can be stressful, as we've seen and as many of us have experienced. But there is a coming reunion, I tell you guys, that is going to be anything but. There's an old hymn entitled, When We All Get to Heaven. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. He's preparing a place for us right now. And I love the chorus of that great hymn. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. And when things are getting me down in this life, when I'm going through struggles, there's something that always picks me back up. And I'm going to share that with you right now. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you, write down Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 7 gives us a picture of what is in our future. And it's in God's letter, so we know it's true. We know it's going to happen. But it just blows me away when I, get, when I get burdened down with the stuff that is happening to me right now. It's kind of like, you know, if, I'm, if I've got a trip planned and I'm going to take a cruise, let's say in a couple of months. I'm not, but let's say I was. Uh, and, and, and things can be tough for me right now, so what do I have a tendency to do? Well, you know, I can endure this because in a couple of months, I'm going to be on that cruise. I'm going to be out in the Caribbean or, or, or the, you know, wherever I'm going to be. And it's going to be wonderful. And I sort of buoy myself. I encourage myself with what's on the horizon, with what's coming up. It may be rough now, but I can endure this because of what's coming. Well, guys, we have that kind and so much better of something to look forward to in our future. And it's the grand reunion that is coming with our God and with all of us. Let me just finish up this morning by sharing that with you and realize this. This, this just comes, this is highlighted to me when I read this passage to myself. I'm going to actually see all of this. This is my future. I'm going to be a, a, a witness of everything that we see in this passage. Let me read it for you as we finish up. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. When I saw, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, and the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's our future, guys. That's the reunion that we have to look forward to, and I, I defy you, no matter what you're going through today, it pales in comparison with this. So let's be encouraged with what he has in store for us and let's plan to take as many people in our worlds with us when we witness this event. Amen? Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the encouragement. I thank you, Father, that we have the privilege and opportunity of being loved by one who doesn't just love us but who is in fact the very personification of love. Lord, that's a love. I don't even think we can begin to, to fathom what that must be like. And yet we are the recipients of that. Father, may we not keep that to ourselves. May we share it with the people in our worlds and look forward to what's coming even in the midst of the darkness that we experience so much these days, Father, there is a great light on the horizon and we get to be a part of it. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.